0: It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed. Locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin.
1: There was a piece in Politico a year or so ago. And welcome, by the way, that... uh, that it reported the fusion of George Soros and Charles Koch. Charles Koch being a libertarian, um, and George Soros being what George Soros is, in my view, an anti-American. And remember, I've talked to you before about how the isolationists Seem to have voices on the radical left and among this weird Putin romanticizing right. And they do overlap. And so they put this group together, this so called nonprofit, the Quincy Group. And the position of Charles Koch and George Soros is to effectively, quote unquote, keep America out of endless wars. And now you hear this propaganda throughout the media with a handful of senators and House members. And they act like we're the ones creating war situations. Now, to oppose this kind of passivity and pacifism and isolationism is not to support endless wars or radical interventionism. Is not to support necessarily a Lindsey Graham or sort of a McCain type of attitude, which is interventionism now, interventionism yesterday, interventionism today. No. Some of you are too young to really remember Ronald Reagan. Or, because of all the propaganda you're hearing, some of you don't know what he stood for. Or what the Reagan doctrine stood for. You see, up until Ronald Reagan, Democrats and Republicans alike, in Washington, D.C., took on the attitude of FDR and Truman, which was to sort of, uh, when it came to the Soviet Union and other major enemies, the status quo, to contain them. Contain them. But Reagan's position was you can't contain them. They're spreading into Africa. They're spreading into our hemisphere in violation of the Monroe Doctrine. And so while we play the game of containment, they play the game of confrontation. So the Reagan Doctrine is based on a principle that you go on the offensive wisely, prudently, but no more containment. And he was therefore considered, particularly by Washington and the Republican establishment, as you can imagine, by the Putinoids today, as uh, wildly out of control. And they use the word, interestingly enough, escalation, as you hear the Putinoids, isolationists, pacifists of today. They use the same word. Escalation. Reagan's going to escalate. They also said that the Soviet Union would use its nukes against the United States and its allies. So you're getting basically a regurgitation of the arguments that were used by the Democrat and Republican establishments in Washington, D.C., even though the putinoids pretend that they're somehow plowing new ground. They're not plowing new ground. These were the arguments that were made by the likes of Jimmy Carter. By the likes of George McGovern. That are made by the likes today of a Bernie Sanders. And Reagan would have rejected all of it. As Donald Trump has rejected, if not all of it, a lot of it. I just want you to hear... A relatively short compilation of some of the things Reagan said during his presidency an enormously successful presidency where he got enormous popular votes won the Electoral College numbers never seen before since probably George Washington and had a fantastically successful foreign policy take a listen This is from, again, a group of his speeches, just clips from his speeches, some of his best speeches against tyranny. Cut 24 ago. And
2: to every person trapped in tyranny, whether in the Ukraine, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Cuba, or Vietnam, we send our love and support and tell them they are not alone. Our message must be, your struggle is our struggle, your dream is our dream, and someday you too will be free. As as Pope John Paul told his beloved Poles, we are blessed by divine heritage. We are children of God and we cannot be slaves. History shows that it is precisely when totalitarian regimes begin to decay from within It is precisely when they feel the first real stirrings of domestic unrest that they seek to reassure their own people of their vast and unchallengeable power through imperialistic expansion or foreign adventure. So the era ahead of us is one that will see grave challenges and be fraught with danger. Yet it's one that I firmly believe will end in the triumph of the civilized world and the supremacy of its beliefs in individual liberty, representative government, and the rule of law under God. And that's why we must now summon all the nations of the world to a crusade for freedom and a global campaign for the rights of the individual. I look at you and I know I'm looking at people who have seen and suffered the full gamut of totalitarian terror. Some of you lost friends and loved ones in your struggles, and some of you risk your lives and all your earthly belongings, and you will bear scars for the rest of your life. You are men and women of courage, heroes who have devoted a lifetime to struggle for God's greatest gift, for freedom, and for that I can only say I'm honored to be here with you today, and I'll be proud to stand by you always. Today, the goals of our foreign policy are the same as they have been for the last four decades. We stand against totalitarianism, particularly imperialist expansionist totalitarianism. We are for democracy and human rights, and we are for a worldwide prosperity that only free economies can give, and the pursuit of human happiness that only political freedom allows tyrants tyrannize because that's what they do for a living but the ungodly force called tyranny still cannot rid the human soul of its freedom no matter how hard it may try tyrants can defy the benefits of or deny the benefits i should say of freedom to their peoples can kill freedom by killing free people but freedom itself they cannot have for one thing people like you won't allow it nor will that higher being allow it. Our greatest freedom, the freedom to choose right from wrong, cannot be willed away by the tyrants. For God has given all humankind the gift of knowing right from wrong and the responsibility to choose between them. This, my friends, is the essence of freedom, that we follow the biblical admonition I have set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life. That tyranny is a parasite that saps the strength of a nation in its sway. That like those who lived under Macbeth's tyranny, the tyrannized millions will ever cry out. Our country sinks beneath the yoke. It weeps. It bleeds. And each new day, a gash is added to the wounds. Tyranny fails. Freedom works. These facts, so little accepted only a decade ago, are now indisputable. To all those trapped in tyranny, wherever they may be, let us speak with one voice, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Americans, saying, you are not alone. Your dreams are not in vain. Hold on to your dreams, because the tide of the future is a freedom tide, and totalitarianism cannot hold it back.
1: You can imagine how Reagan and his speeches would be treated today by the Putin wing of the Republican Party and the Putin wing of the Democrat Party and the Putinoids in the media. He'd be denounced. He'd be trashed. All right. As Lee Edwards one of the great conservatives and Elizabeth Spaulding, put in their book, A Brief History of the Cold War. When Reagan took over within the free world, the Atlantic Alliance was strained to counter the deployment of the late 70s of Soviet SS-20 intermediate range nuclear missiles aimed at major European cities. NATO proposed a dual track approach negotiations to remove the missiles and the deployment of U.S. pershing II and cruise missiles aimed at Soviet cities. The latter sparked a popular movement in Western Europe, aided and abetted by the Kremlin to freeze NATO's deployment of nuclear weapons, and Western European governments wavered in the resolve to counter the Soviets, even on their own soil. Reagan put the deployment of the UR missiles at the center of his new foreign policy, He forged a close friendship with British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and sought the support of other Western European leaders, particularly Chancellor Helmut Kohl of West Germany. Unlike the so-called foreign policy realists who viewed all regimes through the same lens, and you have an interesting sort of perverse juxtaposition today with the isolationist, pacifist, Putin wing of the Republican Party, among others is actually part of the old so-called realist wing of the Republican Party and the Washington establishment. It was Reagan who stirred the pot and changed our position from hapless to on the offense. Reagan placed regime differences at the heart of his understanding of the Cold War. With his modest Illinois roots and biblical Christian faith learned from his mother, He emerged as a screen star and a committed anti-communist, fighting communist efforts to take over the Hollywood trade unions in the post-war period. Poor eyesight kept him stateside with the army during World War II, but his varied experiences contributed to his application of the need for military strength. Two terms as Republican governor of California confirmed his conservative pro-freedom political views. Unlike Truman, he sought, in the circumstances of the 1980s, not merely to contain the Soviet Union but to defeat it. Reagan endorsed the strategy and insights of NSC 68. Shortly after that key document of the Truman administration was declassified and published in 1975, devoting several of his radio commentaries to it. Also, in the 1970s, he recalled he called for reductions, not limitations. In U.S. and Soviet armaments through verifiable agreements, he identified as central weaknesses of the Soviet bloc the denial of religious freedom and the inability to provide consumer goods. He stressed that Pope John Paul II's trip to Poland in 1979 revealed that communist atheism, ruthlessly imposed for decades, had failed to stop the people from believing in God. 1979, radio commentary, Reagan remarked the Pope in his final appearance had invited the people to bring forward several large crosses for his blessings. Suddenly there was a movement among the multitude of young people before him in Poland. All these policy positions formed a main theme of Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign. Real peace would come through the military strength of the West, along with its political and economic ra- uh, pa- freedom. <coughs> for Reagan, as for Truman, the gravest threat to the U.S. and the free world came from the Soviet Union. Its continuing imperialist designs on every continent demanded a new Cold War. So the Reagan doctrine was a break uh, from the Cold War position of almost half a century or more. And he said, well, we sit here and try and contain the enemy The enemy advances throughout the globe, and we cannot have another World War II. And just as today, he was accused of wanting to have a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. He was accused of being naive. He was accused of being a warmonger. He went against the Republican establishment. He went against the Washington defense bureaucracy. And he took on the Soviets, not with troops, but he took them on, whether it was Angola or Nicaragua, whether it was, uh, at that time, Afghanistan, where we actually forced the communists out of there, and really every other corner of the earth. His goal was to defeat the Soviet Union. This is why I keep saying, apparently the Putinoids of today do not want the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. I do. For all the same reasons Reagan would have as well, or Churchill for that matter. Mark
0: Levin. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You know, Texas Governor Greg Abbott spoke
1: at Uvala, spoke to the people of Texas, spoke today to the people of the United States. And he actually spoke in a way that we had hoped Joe Biden would. But Joe Biden is not that type of a man. He's just not, and he never has been. I want you to hear some of what Governor Abbott said today, and then I want to respond to some of the lunatics out there who just cannot control themselves. Cut one go.
3: The first thing that happened was that the gunman shot his grandmother in the face. She then contacted police. The gunman fled, and uh, as he was fleeing, he had an accident just outside of the elementary school, and he ran into the school. Officers with the Consolidated Independent School District, they approached the gunman and engaged with the gunman uh, at that time. The gunman then entered a back door and went down two short hallways and then into a classroom on the left-hand side. The gun room uh, entered into that classroom and the classroom was connected internally to another classroom. Border Patrol consolidated ISD officers, police, sheriffs, and DPS officers converged on that classroom. And a Border Patrol officer killed the gunman. Cut to. The gunman was 18 years old and reportedly a high school dropout. Reportedly, there has been no criminal history identified yet. He may have had a juvenile record, but that is yet to be determined. There was no known mental health history of the gunman. He used one weapon, which was an AR-15, using 223 rounds. There was no meaningful forewarning of this crime, other than what I'm about to tell you. As of this time, the only information that was known in advance was posted by the government on Facebook approximately... 30 minutes before reaching the school. The first post was to the point of, he said, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. The second post was, I shot my grandmother. The third post, maybe less than 15 minutes before arriving at the school was, I'm going to shoot an elementary school.
1: And that obviously wouldn't have provided enough time to act. Fifteen minutes. Cut three. Go.
3: Evil swept across Uvalde yesterday. Anyone who shoots his grandmother in the face has to have evil in his heart. But it is far more evil for someone to gun down little kids, it is intolerable, and it is unacceptable for us to have in the state anybody who would kill little kids in our schools. Children are a blessing. God teaches us that. They're filled with laughter, innocence, and joy. Their love is a gift the parents get to unwrap every single day. Parents in Uvalde had that gift taken away from them, stolen by a demented person. Days before, days before yesterday when these children were at school some were receiving awards for perfect attendance these kids will never attend school again
1: and you can hear how genuinely upset the governor is cut four, go
3: but the reality is as horrible as what happened It could have been worse. The reason it was not worse is because law enforcement officials did what they do. They showed amazing courage by running toward gunfire for the singular purpose of trying to save lives. And it is a fact. That because of their quick response, getting on the scene, being able to respond to the gunman and eliminate the gunman, they were able to save lives. Unfortunately, not enough. Cut five. I know people like to try to oversimplify this. Uh, Let's talk about some real facts. And and that is, there are, quote, real gun laws in Chicago. There are, quote, real gun laws in New York. There are real gun laws in California. I hate to say this, but there are more people who were shot every weekend in Chicago than there are in schools in Texas. And we need to realize that, that people who think that, well, maybe we could just implement tougher gun laws, it's going to solve it. Chicago and L.A. and New York disprove that thesis. And so if you're looking for a real solution, Chicago teaches that what you're talking about is not a real solution. Our job is to come up with real solutions that we can implement.
1: This is extremely impressive and heartfelt and compassionate. And then Beto O'Rourke, who's running against Governor Greg Abbott for governor, he's at the scene of the press event and he jumps up and he blames the governor for what took place in that classroom. He blames the governor. The lieutenant governor is there, Patrick. The mayor is there, who is furious with what Beto O'Rourke is doing. And Senator Cruz is there. So Beto O'Rourke decides to politicize this with forethought as the governor is trying to talk about what happened. And the last person you'll hear is the mayor. Cut six. Go.
0: Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit, sit down. You're out. Of, you're out of line and an embarrassment. Hey. Sit, sit, sit down. And don't play this no, stuff
3: shooting is right now, and you are doing nothing. No, he lane, needs to get his nothing. ass out of here. You this isn't this is a place to talk to this over. This is totally predictable when you...
0: Sir, choose, you're out of line. Uh, Sir, uh, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. I'm Please leave this, this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue.
1: So the most vocal shouting down O'Rourke was the mayor, whose small town of fifteen to sixteen thousand is suffering horribly. And O'Rourke makes a scene. Not to accomplish anything, to draw attention to himself. So Greg Abbott says this cut seven go.
3: Their family members Who are crying as we speak. They're family members whose hearts are broken. There's no words that anybody shouting can come up here and do anything to heal those broken hearts. We all, every Texan, every American has a responsibility where we need to focus not on ourselves and our agendas. We need to focus on the healing and hope that we can provide to those who have suffered unconscionable damage to their lives and loss of life. We need all Texans to, in this one moment in time, put aside personal agendas, think of somebody other than ourselves, think about the people who were hurt and help those who have been hurt
1: Police had to remove O'Rourke, and I think uh, Charlie Cook over at National Review summed this up well. When O'Rourke said to Abbott, this is on you, Cook says, I'd like to know what he meant by this. The only thing I can think of is that O'Rourke believes that Texas should have banned the AR-15 that the killer used in his spree. But when asked about that very issue in February, O'Rourke made it clear that he opposed such a move. Here is ABC, where he spoke. Speaking to reporters, O'Rourke also took a question about his controversial stance on guns and remarks made in 2019 about taking away AR-15s and AK-47s. He said, I'm not interested in taking anything from anyone. What I want to make sure we do is defend the Second Amendment. I want to make sure that we protect our fellow Texans far better than we're doing right now and that we listen to law enforcement, which Greg Abbott refused to do. He turned his back on them when he signed the permitless carry bill that endangers the lives of law enforcement in a state that see more cops and sheriff deputies gunned down than in any other. Obviously, Texas's permitless carry law had absolutely nothing to do with what happened yesterday in Uvalde. He says, I'm sure that before the day is out, the press will ask for a detailed explanation of what O'Rourke actually believes Abbott has done wrong. What did Abbott do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. And then Joe Scarborough uses the occasion to exploit the demagogue and to lie through his teeth. And at uh, National Review again, Charlie Cook writes. Texas has had the same laws governing the purchase of rifles for decades. Because what Scarborough said is there are several here who fit the definition of six son of a bee. But none go by the name of Beto. Look instead at the freaks who keep gutting gun laws. So 18 year olds can buy weapons designed for war to go into schools and slaughter babies. That is sick." Scarborough posted. Cook says this isn't true. Texas has had the same laws governing the purchase of rifles for decades, and none of the people in that picture have gutted any of them. The 1968 Gun Control Act set the rifle-buying age at 18, and since then, Texas has followed suit. As a matter of fact, the only changes made in this area since this point have been issued by the federal government, and those served to tighten rather than loosen the rules. 1993, Congress passed the NICS background check system, which the shooter in Uvalde passed. I understand that Joe Scarborough would like that what happened to be Greg Abbott's fault, but it really isn't. Indeed, Not a single law that Abbott has signed since he became governor even intersects with what happened yesterday. From start to finish, Texas laws would have treated this purchase in exactly the same way in 2012, 2002, 1992, 18. 1982 and so on one can certainly argue that this should change although as ever one has an obligation to explain exactly how But one shouldn't blame politicians for fathom alterations that neither they nor anyone else have made Joe Scarborough is a serial liar and demagogue Who will exploit any horrific event to draw attention to himself? mark
0: Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark
1: Levin. People seem to think in the media, basketball coaches and others, that there's very easy answers to all this. If only we would pass another law. I think there's things we can do, but they're not going to stop everybody. I'll give an example. We've now learned that, in fact mass murder was confronted when he went into the school by an armed guard and they exchanged fire and apparently as reported Ramos ran down a small hallway or short hallway and that's when he barricaded himself into the classroom where he murdered everybody I mean the 19 children and two teachers and oddly enough last night I told you good lord he shot enough kids to be in a single classroom. Apparently that's what he did. And one of the teachers ran to the window to try and let the kids out and he murdered her. So uh, when you have people going around yelling it's the Republicans or it's the NRA and the gun law these are very cold people very very cold people so i wanted to pass that on to you i want to get into a few other things if i may that could affect the outcome of the senate and ladies and gentlemen we are in dire shape in this country we're in grave shape in this country from our classrooms to our border to inflation and gasoline, the value of the dollar, shortages, baby formula. Now the FDA is having to confess that, in fact, it's screwed up royally. We talked about it. It has to be, what, a week and a half ago, Mr. Producer? Joe Biden was blaming the private sector. It wasn't the private sector. Those who support big, ubiquitous, yet centralized government never blame the government. It's somebody else, the oil companies, the meatpacking companies, the baby formula companies, the gun companies, whatever it is. There is a constitution in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, one of the oldest in the country, as a matter of fact. It's a very solid constitution, I'm well aware of it. I graduated law school in Pennsylvania. I'm a member of the bar of Pennsylvania as well as Virginia. But I studied the Pennsylvania Constitution, <clears throat> and I had to dust it off in this last election. If you want to change election laws in Pennsylvania, it's, it's different than, a. I bet, the vast majority of states. It's extremely difficult. You can't just pass a statute, nor issue an executive order as governor, nor issue a judicial order as a court. It has a very comprehensive amendment process, more difficult than the federal constitution. And that amendment process involves the people of Pennsylvania, a vote. And if they don't, in the first instance, support the amendment, it doesn't go any further. It requires a supermajority of the state legislature, not once, but twice. They love their Constitution. What happened prior to 2020, between 2016 and 2020 and right up to election day in Pennsylvania, is that the state constitution, as well as our federal constitution, were repeatedly violated. An elected Supreme Court changed the voting system. A secretary of state changed the voting system. That violated two constitutions. Even the state legislature has to follow the Constitution in Pennsylvania. Even the Republican state legislature. They are not free to change the election laws either. Without going through the amendment process. That's how tough it is in Pennsylvania. All of that was shredded in 2020 and 2019. All of it was shredded. And yet, one thing survived. Barely. In Pennsylvania, if you have an absentee ballot, you have to sign the envelope in which the absentee ballot is placed and date it by hand. No machine dates, no computer dates, no fixing by the Board of Elections, stamp dating it like you're going to the post office. It's very specific. Now, so why did they do that? It's a custody thing. They wanted to make sure the person who was signing also dated it. Many of you have signed legal documents, notarized documents. You have to sign it and date it. Somebody else is not permitted to date it for you. The bank isn't permitted to date it for you. Mortgage company is not permitted to date it for you. It says name, print, name, sign, date. And if you don't date it, because that's very important, then it doesn't count. It's not a legally executed document. So when you vote in the state of Pennsylvania absentee, you get an envelope, you get a ballot. In addition to signing And dating the ballot that you put in the envelope, you sign and date the envelope. That has withstood challenge within the state. That's the law in the state. This election for Senate in the Republican primaries is so close, it's within a thousand votes. They're nowhere else to find votes. And so there's, if you will, a box or bucket or a grouping of these envelopes that were not hand-signed. Instead, they were stamp-dated in violation of state law. Existing state law. So what David McCormick's team has decided to do is to sue to allow the ballots that were not hand-dated to be counted. That is, the ballots that were stamp-dated to be counted. Of course, he has support over at National Review because Donald Trump backed Dr. Oz and they hate Dr. Oz by their legal analyst over there who claims that this is really a civil rights issue, according to the federal courts. There's no civil rights issue. This is a black and white, simple, originalism issue. And there is no reason to change state law. There's no civil rights issue or civil rights violation. And it is a material issue whether you sign and date a document for all kinds of legal purposes, including absentee ballots and the envelope in which those ballots are placed. So David McCormick has decided to sue. His lawyer, you'll be interested in knowing, is a gentleman by the name of Chuck Cooper. Chuck Cooper has, for decades, posed as an originalist constitutionalist. He also represented the infamous John Bolton. And I've known Chuck Cooper a long time. But I can't control how people decide to conduct themselves later in their careers. It's despicable. The Republican National Committee and, more importantly, the Pennsylvania Republican Party have sided with Dr. Oz in this litigation and have opposed what David McCormick has done. The Democrat Secretary of State, she has sided with McCormick. Now, why would a Democrat Secretary of State side with McCormick? And the Republican Party of Pennsylvania and the RNC side with Oz? Because the Democrats want to be able to use the same thing if their voters don't hand date the envelopes, and it just happens that their voters are dumber than the Republican voters and often don't follow the process, as you well know. So the lawyers, Cooper et al., who are bringing this litigation, are basically paving the path for the Democrat Party to win in the general election. In the general election, because this lawsuit is the kind of suit that Mark Elias would bring. This lawsuit is the kind of suit that a slip and fall, ambulance chasing, Democrat hack lawyer would bring. And I strongly object to it. And I think it's crucially important that the plaintiffs here, the McCormick campaign and its lawyers, lose and lose badly. Because we don't believe, number one, that courts should be changing election laws. And we don't believe, number two, the failure to write a date on a legal document is a civil rights issue, a federal civil rights issue. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, this is ultimately going to go to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a very liberal circuit in Philadelphia. That's the problem, and that's what Cooper knows, that's what the McCormick campaign knows, and that's what the legal analyst over there at National Review surely must know. I don't think David McCormick is helping himself for the future, even if there's a recount, which there's supposed to be, and I believe it was triggered today, and that's fine under state law. Even if he comes out the other end on top, I think he will have turned off and infuriated an awful lot of people. Because this kind of litigation, supported by National Review, supported by Chuck Cooper, and apparently by the McCormick campaign, is the sort of thing the Democrats want. And should the McCormick campaign win, will clearly benefit from in the general election. Mark
0: The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You
1: know, one way in which we could actually become much more united as a nation is if MSNBC and CNN went out of business. And these Democrat Party front groups like Mediaite and Media Matters disappeared. I'm not saying the government should do that. I'm just stating a fact. You know, they like like to set the narrative. They like to create the so-called reality. The right wing versus the left wing. I'm not right wing. Are you? Being a traditionalist, a constitutional conservative, that's not right wing. That's not white supremacy, white domination. I believe in the principles and traditions of this nation, don't you? I believe in equality for everybody under the law, don't you? I believe if you work hard, you should be able to keep what you make, don't you? I don't care what somebody's race is, do you? And yet today we're told... You must, and on and on and on. My point is that there are divisive forces in this country. And the the American Marxists, this is what they preach. Whether they're in the media, whether they're in our colleges and universities, whether they're teaching at these colleges and universities, their books and so forth and so on this is who they are this is what they do it's racism constantly it's hate America constantly it's hate the cops constantly and the political vessel through which they operate is the Democrat Party it's always been if you hate America and you hate people you work through the Democrat Party whether it's slavery or segregation Hundred and fifty or more years ago, all the way up to the nineteen fifties and sixties, where they supported Jim Crow laws, or their embrace now of American Marxism, but never embrace Americanism. Never. They are now promoting anti-Semitism, and the anti-Semites within their ranks. You see them on TV. You see them within their. Within their Caucas, of course, racism is the coin of the realm for them. They embrace, as I said before, Louis Farrakhan and just dress it up as scholarship, but it's not scholarship. It's pure hate. That's what it is. I mentioned earlier the FBI spied on three point three million Americans without a warrant. Top House Republicans, writes Joseph Lord, at Epic Times, which is a fantastic site, are demanding answers from the FBI after court-ordered information came to light showing that the FBI had collected the information of over 3 million Americans without a warrant. In a May 25 letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray, Representatives Jim Jordan and Mike Turner, asked Ray to explain why his agency had wiretapped and gathered personal information on over 3.3 million Americans without a warrant. Limited authority to gather foreign intelligence information is granted by the FISA Act, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, specifically Section 702. But this power can grant an expanding circle of possible searches to the FBI and other intel agencies, who can use the same power against American citizens who had any interaction with targeted foreigners. This is why I'm explaining. When you have a list of who are the bad cops, what do you mean by that exactly? We know there's quote-unquote bad cops, and we know there's tens of thousands of bad people or criminals. But what does that mean? You need some absolute detail. Historically, insight into how FISA has been used against American citizens has been limited and hidden behind classified reports. But a November 2020 decision by the FISA court, which serves as a supposed watchdog for U.S. intelligence agencies, required that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence report, quote, the number of U.S. person queries run by the FBI against Section 702 acquired information. In total... Queries against U.S. citizens came out to a jaw-dropping, ready? 3,394,053 searches. By comparison, only 1,324,057 such inquiries were made in 2020, representing a 250% increase during the first year of the Biden administration. They're into surveillance, unlawful surveillance, that's why they wanted their little ministry of truth. According to the Office of, the, of National Intel, more than half of those queries, almost 2 million, were part of the larger investigation of alleged Russia attempts to target or weaken U.S. critical infrastructure. The office reported and admitted that on at least four occasions, the FBI failed to get FISA approval before accessing the contents of information collected. It's not the first time the FBI has been caught red-handed overstepping its legal authority. It seems to me they're systemically focused on undermining law-abiding citizens. In their letter to Ray, Jordan and Turner laid out a laundry list of questions about the report, demanding further transparency. Isn't it interesting that the Democrats don't do this? They control the Congress. Isn't it interesting that they're not focused on this at all? And the vast majority of them weren't upset with this Ministry of Truth. And the vast majority of them support a database against the cops. Isn't that interesting, ladies and gentlemen? And they go around saying there aren't universal background checks to get a gun when in fact there are. Like the idiot coach, Steve Kerr, going on and on. It's amazing. It's amazing. On one side of their mouth, they tell you, do not trust law enforcement. Out of the other side of their mouth, give federal law enforcement and federal bureaucrats more power in violation of the Bill of Rights to monitor, to surveil, and to control the individual. Well, which is it? Which is it? Do you trust law enforcement or you don't? The problem is, when it comes to local and state law enforcement, They treat them as the enemy. They're at war with them. But when it comes to federal law enforcement, which they feel they can control politically, there are very few limits that they won't oppose. Excuse me, very few limits that they will support. Very few. So they want all kinds of power to shut down your First Amendment rights, your Second Amendment rights, other constitutional rights. But when it comes to common criminality that affects you directly, then they attack the cops.
0: Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin.
1: This is from AP and it's reported elsewhere. Very, very important. This is out of New Zealand. China wants 10 small Pacific nations to endorse a sweeping agreement covering everything from security to fisheries and what one leader warns is a game-changing bid by Beijing to wrest control of the region. A draft of the agreement obtained by the Associated Press shows that China wants to train Pacific police officers up on, quote, traditional non-traditional security, unquote, we know what that means, military, and expand law enforcement cooperation. China also wants to jointly develop a marine plan for fisheries, which would include the Pacific's lucrative tuna catch, increase cooperation on running the region's internet networks, and set up cultural Confucius institutes and classrooms. China also mentions the possibility of setting up a free trade area with the Pacific nations. China's move comes as Foreign Minister Wang Yi and a 20-person delegation begin a visit to the region this week. In Washington, U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price expressed concern about China's intentions, saying Beijing might use the proposed accords to take advantage of the islands and destabilize the region. Gee, you think? We're concerned that these reported agreements may be negotiated in a rushed, non-transparent process. He warned that China is a pattern of offering shadowy, vague deals with little transparency or regional consultation in areas related to fishing, related to resource management, development, development assistance, more recently, even security practices. Military, you idiot. And Price added that... Agreements that include sending Chinese security officials to the nations could only seek to fuel regional international tensions and increase concerns over Beijing's expansion of its internal security apparatus to the Pacific. Now this Chinese communist reprobate is visiting seven of the countries he hopes will endorse the common development vision. The Solomon Islands. My great uncle and so many other Americans fought on the Solomon Islands, including Guadalcanal, the Solomon Islands, Kiribati, Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, Papua New Guinea, and Vanuatu. These are these little spots in the Pacific. And the real reason they want them, of course, is for their Navy and their Air Force, so they can project. Long is also holding virtual meetings with the other three potential signatories, the Cook Islands, NAI, and the Federated States of Micronesia. He's hoping the countries will endorse the pre-written agreement as part of a joint communique after a May 30 meeting in Fiji. He's holding with foreign ministers from each of the ten countries. Micronesia's president, David Panalo, has told leaders of the other Pacific nations his nation will not endorse the plan, warning it would needlessly heighten geopolitical tensions and threaten regional stability, according to a letter uh, from him that was obtained by the AP. Among other concerns, he said the agreement opens the door for China to own and control the region's fisheries and communications infrastructure. He said China could inter- intercept emails and listen in on phone calls. You're damn right. He called the Common Development Vision the single most game-changing proposed agreement of the Pacific in any of our lifetimes and said it threatens to bring a new Cold War era at best and a world war at worst. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbi said he didn't know about the letter. But I don't agree at all with the argument that cooperation between China and the South Pacific Island countries will trigger a new Cold War. Like other countries in the Pacific, Micronesia is finding itself increasingly caught between the competing interests of Washington and Beijing, it has close ties to the U.S. through the Compact of Free Association, but also has what Penelope describes in his letter as a great friendship with China that he hopes will continue. Yeah, because they fear China. The security aspects of this agreement will be particularly troubling to many in the region and beyond, especially after China, listen to this, already signed a separate security pact with the Solomon Islands last month. Australia, Japan, New Zealand, the United States have all objected to this. The pact has raised fears that China could send troops to the island nation or even establish a military base there, which is not far from Australia. The Solomon Islands and China say there are no plans for a base. Yeah, right. The May 30 meeting will be the second between Wang and Pacific Island foreign ministers. Those who follow China's role in the Pacific will be scrutinizing the wording of the draft. Well, I hope so. The draft agreement also stipulates that the Pacific countries, quote, firmly abide, unquote, by the one China principle under which Taiwan, a self-ruled island democracy, excuse me, a country, is considered by Beijing to be part of China. It would also uphold the non-interference principle that China often cites as a deterrent to other nations speaking out about its human rights record. The agreement says that China and the Pacific countries would jointly formulate a marine spatial plan to optimize the layout of the marine economy and develop and utilize marine resources rationally so as to promote a sustainable sustainable development of blue economy. Is this a joke? Is this a joke? China also promised to dispatch Chinese language consultants, teachers, volunteers to the islands. These islands really have no military of their own to speak of. They're fragile little places, as you well know. They're not developed purposely so. In the action plan, China says it will fully implement 2,500 government scholarships through 2025. China will conquer these tiny little island nations. It will devour them. Devour them. China says it will build criminal investigation labs as needed by the Pacific nations. They can be used for fingerprint testing, forensic autopsies, electronic forensics. What do they need them for? Is there a big criminal problem on uh, Fiji? Maybe, I don't know. China also promises more investment in the region by mobilizing private capital encouraging more competitive and reputable Chinese enterprises to participate in direct investment in Pacific Island countries. They'll buy everything that's there. This is a dangerous, dangerous country. And I gravely fear that one day we will go to war with them. I don't want to. I don't want to. But I fear that they are going to fire the first shot. And this is a big deal. China followed Joe Biden's vow to defend Taiwan militarily, writes Bloomberg, by announcing it held military exercises close to the democratically ruled island, underscoring its anger over the U.S. stance. You notice how more confrontational and escalatory China is becoming? the air and sea combat readiness patrol was a solemn warning about the recent collusion between the u.s and taiwan colonel xi yi said in a statement yesterday from the eastern theater command of the people's liberation army the command which is headquartered in the eastern city of nanjing didn't say when exactly the exercises were conducted on the taiwan issue the u.s side says one thing and does another giving repeated encouragement to taiwan independent forces he said this is hypocritical and futile, will only lead the situation to a dangerous situation, and will also face serious consequences. So he's threatening us. And then the way Bloomberg writes it, the comments show much Biden angered Beijing by answering yes when asked Monday in Tokyo if the U.S. would act militarily to defend the island in the event of a Chinese attack. Of course, he's walked it back. But I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the Putinoids and the Genoids. Biden's comment was correct. Yes. White House officials later said he was only promising USAID to help Taiwan defend itself in the event of hostilities. But Chinese Foreign Minister spokesman Wang Wenbin also lashed out at the US at a regular press. So they lash out, they attack us, no big deal. See, we're provoking them. China says we're provoking them, and the Putin g wing of our political parties are saying we're provoking them, too. They're preparing for war, ladies and gentlemen. They're preparing to take Taiwan, and they are creating such a military force, or they think they are, that they know Millie will go in and tell Biden that we're outgunned. That's what's going on here. That's exactly what's going on here. Meanwhile, top, uh, China's top Uyghur region official, in a hack speech, quote, we must exercise firm control over religious believers, Breitbart points out. An audio transcript of a May 2017 meeting chaired by China's top Communist Party official in the country's western Xinjiang territory published two days ago by the BBC reveals the regional chief urged Xinjiang officials to quote, exercise firm control over the religious community unquote, referring to the largely Sunni Muslim, Turkic speaking Uyghur ethnic minority Jin Quanzhou, who served as Communist Party Secretary of China's Xinjiang Uyghur autonomous region from 2016 to 2021, told attendees of a regional maintenance meeting that they must continue to exercise firm control over the religious community. I'm quoting, religious people must carry out the religious activities according to the law. This is a good test of their patriotism and love for the region at this time. The Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation describes the Xinjiang police files as, quote, a major cache of speeches, images, documents, and spreadsheets obtained by a third party from confidential internal police networks. They provide a groundbreaking inside view of the nature and scale of Beijing's secretive campaign of interning between one to two million Uyghurs and other ethnic citizens in China's northwestern uh, Xinjiang region. China's ruling Communist Party, uh, Party has funneled Uyghurs and other Xinjiang ethnic minorities, such as Kazakhs and so forth, into state run facilities. It's called vocational education and training centers, that is, concentration camps, since 2017. So look, they're doing this. They've taken over Hong Kong, they've built fake islands. In the middle of the South China Sea, where half the world's resources and economic activity flows. They've done it in international, navigable waters, and now they claim that's all theirs. That's all theirs. Now they're trying to devour 10 tiny island nations to further control the area. So they can strike, really effectively, Australia and New Zealand. And of course, they've made it abundantly clear that when they feel they're ready, they're going to attack, militarily, Taiwan. Japan has said they need to be told that that is a red line. Meanwhile, the inbred in North Korea has fired off missiles again, ICBMs, toward Japan. Without nuclear warheads, but he's making a point. He's making a point. Troubling, troubling times. Exactly the wrong man in the White House. Exactly the wrong people running Congress, quite frankly exactly the wrong American media in place to focus on what needs to be focused on. These are uh, extraordinarily dangerous times, both within the country and outside the country. We're facing threats from within and outside. There's simply no question about it. And uh, these pieces of data that have been Uh, Hacked. You go online and look at it. This show isn't long enough, and I'm not able to show you pictures. You go online and look at it. It's extraordinarily brutal. Yes, destroying people, killing them, summary executions. What does that remind you of because of their ethnicity? Oh, raise your hand over there. Donnie Douche. What do you think, Donnie?